Thank you, Alex. Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 19, or you can find it printed in your bulletin. We're we'll looking at the whole chapter. Hear now as I read God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you, out, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, 
go down and come up bringing Aaron with you but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them so the Lord went down to the people and told them thus far God's holy word let's pray for his blessing on it God as we come to you in this moment and to your word we ask that you would open our ears and our eyes help us to see your holiness today in Jesus name amen well we all have an experience most of us probably more so now than ever of being in front of a scene of great grandeur and beauty and trying to take a photo of it on our phone and you take a photo and you look at it and you're like man this picture just can't do it justice Uh, I can't get this experience and sometimes whenever we either see something or maybe we have an experience and then we try to communicate it to someone else it's like I mean I can explain it to you and this is what happened but you just had to be there we have a word for that in English it's a word we actually sing in one of our songs the word ineffable something that is ineffable is unable to be described in words We have a description in our text here, an accurate description of what happened on Mount Sinai at that day. But as I read through this text and I read the people standing before a great mountain, a great mound, Mount Sinai is not one of those things that's like peakish like that. It's more like, you know, several ridges up top, like if you took your fingers and looked at it like one of those kind of mounts. They're standing before this great structure and lightning and thunder. And then whether the thunder is so intense that it causes a quaking or whether there is a localized earthquake, I'm not sure. But any one of those things are things that make us stay inside our house and hide. I think as we read all of this together, God descending on the mountain, it's, there's a little bit of ineffableness, like, This experience had to be insanely amazing, intense, somewhat indescribable. And though the word holy is not used of God in this passage at all, actually, we see the holiness, the separateness, the transcendence, the fact that God is different from us in this passage. But God still says, you're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be my treasured possession, but don't come up to the mountain. There's this statement of affection, of love, of of calling people to him. You're going to be mine. I'm going to be your God, but arm's length. There is some unapproachableness here in this passage that we can't get to God, and it's only Moses, and eventually it's Moses and Aaron, Later on, it will be Moses, Aaron, and priests that get some measure of approaching God. This is important for us to understand this tension because the question is, how can we approach God? God is saying, no one come up to the mountain except for Moses. If you do, you're in for it. And what I want us to see as we move through this passage today is that God prepares his people to approach him in Jesus Christ. God prepares his people to approach him in Jesus Christ. The first way that he does that in the first of Moses' ascents up the mountain is to say, keep the covenant. And so that's our first point we're going to look at is keeping the covenant is an important condition. 
what does God say? If you keep my covenant, if you keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasured possession for me. Um, he says that in verses 1 to 9. I want us to take a moment to understand what this idea of covenant is. So we're going to take a few minutes here uh, for a, a quick tutorial on covenant theology because we're just jumping into Exodus and we hear this word covenant. In Exodus 6, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this is what spurs him on to rescue his people. Now, this is the first time that we are hearing mention of what we call the Mosaic Covenant. When God is going to reveal his law and the, the sacrificial system that all will come out in the rest of Exodus and in Leviticus. And what is this? Keep my covenant, then you'll be my treasured possession. Well, the first covenant that God made with man was the covenant of works in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, God said to Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. Conversely, if you obey me, you'll live. And what happens? Adam breaks the covenant. He's condemned. We're condemned in him. That is the failure of man in the covenant of works. But God didn't leave mankind to perish in sin and misery. He saw fit to establish covenant number two. There are two main covenants in Scripture. Covenant of works, which Adam broke, and the covenant of grace. I am going to bring people to an estate of salvation in me through a Redeemer. Those are our two main covenants. And then every covenant that you see in Scripture is a further unfolding, further revelation about that one single covenant of grace. I owe this illustration to Dr. Joey Pipa, uh, one of my seminary professors. It's an extended illustration, but I think it's extremely helpful for us to understand the covenant and where the Mosaic covenant, this word that we're reading, fits in. And the illustration is a stage play. The, a stage play has different parts or different elements. So we have this covenant of grace that God is going to, people, God is going to bring people to salvation in Him, and we have the plot of the redemptive drama revealed in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. This is God speaking to the serpent. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is going to send a redeemer, Jesus, whose heel will be bruised by Satan as he is killed on the cross, but he is going to crush Satan's head in that act. That is the plot of our redemptive drama. The next covenant, the next aspect of the covenant of grace that we see unfold in Scripture is the Noahic covenant. God says to Moses, this is my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. The Noahic covenant is the stage on which the play, the act of redemptive drama, is going to unfold. The fact that God says, I will never destroy the earth again by a flood, allows the earth to persist for redemptive history to proceed. Because nothing has changed in man since the flood. God would have to continue to keep 
purging and cleansing the earth. But he says, I promise I will never do it again. And so this allows the redemptive drama to continue to unfold on the stage. So you have the Adamic, the plot, the Noahic, that is the stage. The next covenant you have in Scripture is the Abrahamic covenant. And that is a covenant of promise. Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And this gives the redemptive drama its energy. God is going to keep this promise. And then, it happened in Moses, or excuse me, it happened in Exodus 6. I remember my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, to give that land, to bring you out, to bring you to myself. So I rescue you out of Egypt. And here, now we are at the point of the next unfolding of the covenant of grace in the Mosaic covenant. And this gives our redemptive drama, our, our, remember our illustration here is a stage play, it gives it its structure. Here are the laws that you must keep. Here is the way in which you must live. Here is the sacrificial system to continue to point you to the Redeemer, the one who was talked about in the plot, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Moving on from the Mosaic, we have two more. We have the hero of our redemptive drama in the Davidic covenant. In the covenant of David, God says to David, I am going to bring an offspring from you and I'm going to put him on the throne forever. Your son is going to sit on a throne forever in my kingdom. And that gives us our hero of the covenant. And it's not David, right? It's pointing to Jesus. And the last part of our unfolding of the redemptive drama is the denouement. Fancy word, I know. I didn't even know what it meant until Dr. Piper shared this illustration. But the denouement is the resolution. When everything is tied back together, you see all of the pieces fall into place. Uh, when the strings of the plot come together and everything's resolved in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, when Jesus says this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, he's talking about the conclusion of the covenant of grace in him. That resolution in his life, his death, his resurrection. I know I spent a lot of time talking about covenant and all of the different covenants, but it's important for us to understand where we land here when God is saying, keep my covenant and you'll be my treasured possession. Remember that nothing has changed in the substance of the covenant of grace. It is still by unmerited favor. And so think of the covenant of grace, I thought about it like a ball of clay. Nothing changes in the substance of the ball of clay. But as you move through the Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, here in the Mosaic, that ball of clay gets lines etched on it more and more to see more clearly God's redemptive plan as it unfolds. You could call of all of those covenants, and this one we're reading about here, that's beginning to be introduced, all of them as subsets of that covenant of grace. And here's what I want you to take away when we're talking about keeping the covenant. It is all of grace, and God is going to do it. It's all of grace, and God is going to do it. Because what does God mean here in the Mosaic Covenant? It's obey the sacrificial system 
which does what? Points you to Jesus. Obey these commands, which is what? Live the Christian life. That's what keeping the covenant is. Trust in Christ and endeavor to live the Christian life. That's it. It's not some complex system that you have to figure out and obey. Just simply a list of rules to follow. It is trust in Christ and endeavor to obey the Christian life. And brothers and sisters, that is freeing. That is freeing and that is sweet because that is all it takes for you to be what God calls my treasured possession. If you keep this covenant, that is trust in Christ, endeavor to live the Christian life, which is pictured in the Mosaic Covenant as the sacrifices, as the moral law, you will be my treasured possession. And not just that, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We get to come to God in unmerited favor because Christ kept the covenant of works for us. When we come to God in grace by unmerited favor and trust in Him, Jesus credits His righteousness for keeping the covenant of works which Adam failed to keep is credited to us. That is the interaction of the covenant of works and covenant of grace. It's not of works. We can't do it. But when you come to Jesus Christ in grace, His righteousness is credited to you. We need Christ to keep the covenant of works for us. And He says, you're going to be set apart. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation, set apart for Me, but you're not only going to be set apart for Me, as we read this passage, what happens? You are set apart from me. Not, not just for me, but here in this passage, you're kept at arm's length, Israel. You're set apart from me. Consecrate yourselves. And here we see the consecration for the meeting in verse 10. So Moses comes down. He tells the people. The people say, we're going to do what God says. And then God has Moses tell them to wash themselves in verse 10. Go to the people and consecrate them today and let them wash their garments. Let them stand at a distance, verse 12. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. And, verse 16, be, be ready on the third day and do not go near a woman. You're not going to have any marital relations. There's nothing inherently wrong with marital relations, but this is a special abstinence where God is saying wash yourselves stand at a stand at a distance abstain from marital relations because I am going to descend upon the mountain in a cloud and what's the judgment what's the judgment if someone just touches the mountain verse 13 no hand shall touch him but you shall be stoned or shot whether beast or man he shall not live I remember being I'm pretty sure it was like fourth or fourth grade in, in grade school. And for whatever reason, we were having like some sort of lesson on safety. And I remember learning that when someone is getting electrocuted, you're not supposed to touch them. You're supposed to like turn off the power or hit them with something, like hit them with a board. And I remember being a kid thinking, how am I supposed to just have a board laying around or some instrument to hit somebody off of wherever they're getting electrocuted from? 
But that's the picture that we're given of an individual who touches the mountain, right? No hand shall touch him. He is sinfully radioactive. You don't even get near him. He's to be put to death, but not with a physical hand. You have to you know, hit that guy from a distance with stones. He shall be stoned or shot. That's what happens when someone touches the mountain. Now, nothing would have changed in that person when they touched the mountain. But what is this? This experience of the people being before the mountain, of the Lord setting the boundary, is a picture. The picture here that we have is that we need to be washed to meet with God. Consecrate yourselves. Wash yourselves when you come out to meet me. This is a picture of something that is done to the people. and the, the people are told to wash themselves, but it's a picture not of something that we do to ourselves, but something that is done to us. Because what does Jesus say in John 13? If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So the first thing that I want you to realize is that we need to be washed by Jesus in justification. We need to have our sins fully cleansed to be declared not guilty before God. We need Christ to sanctify us, to wash us. But secondly, because Jesus says more than that in John 13, he says, if, you, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. But, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. There's an idea that Jesus communicates in John 13 about the continual cleansing that we need. So we need to be cleansed by Jesus, washed by Jesus, in justification, declared not guilty, but we need a continual sanctification in our lives. And the illustration Jesus uses in John 13 is of a person who's clean, but as they're walking on the road, their feet get dirty. And so what I want to ask you is, as you've been walking, what sin has stuck to your feet? And where do you need to wash? What do you need to wash? What do you need to confess? Who do you need to confess to? Because sometimes, our sin, it might just be dusty dirt on the sandals right? But sometimes it might be like walking through a little bit of thick mud. More of it sticks. And maybe sometimes our sin is like trudging through ankle-deep mud, and it starts to splatter up our legs, and it splatters on somebody else. What sin is stuck to you, and what do you need to confess to someone else and to God? Because we need a complete and total initial cleansing by Jesus but we need continual cleansing by God in our lives. And that's the picture that is here in Exodus. You have to be clean, wash yourselves to be with me, to be around me. We need Christ to sanctify and cleanse us. Well, we not only need Him to keep the covenant for us, we not only need Him to cleanse us, but we also need Him to mediate for us. And this is where we see in our third section of the passage 